Welcome to another encouraging word from Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor of Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Southeast Texas. We are so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website, cotr.com. Enjoy the word. Let me tell you, God has a word for you today. In fact, do you know that every word that God gives us is designed to change our life forever? Isn't that interesting? I mean, it is. God, when, uh, when God touches you, it ought to leave you a little different. You know, I don't mean different like me, by the way. I'm a little bit, uh, you know how it feels when you're leaning back in a chair? And just that moment, just before you fall over? Charles, I feel that way all the time. But God has a desire to change our lives. And today, if you'll open your heart, I know He has a word for you. My goal today, as uh, you may have heard here on campus, is to share the truth with you. What is your part? What's your part today? Well, I'm going to ask you to do two things, and you're probably pretty familiar with it. Number one thing I'm going to ask you to do is just look for one thing in this message that you can take home with you and put in practice in your life. And then a second thing I'm going to ask you to do is to find one more thing that you can give away to somebody else this week. Because the Word of God should be both bread for us to eat and seed for us to sow. So today we're looking for one thing. I'm going to say a lot of things, but we're looking for one thing, whether it comes out of my mouth or whether it comes from heaven down into your spirit. One thing that God's going to say to you today that you can put into practice in your life and then one thing that you can take with you and remember it and give it to someone else this week. So with that being said, we're going to be going to the Word this morning and we're going to be talking about the process of life. And I'm going to read from Psalms 118 in just a moment. I'll read just one verse from that, and then we'll be getting to our text, the process of life. Many of you know that today is Super Bowl Sunday, right? Yeah. Wow, what an important day in America, you know. Uh, I wish I could tell you who's playing, but I'm just not that guy. I don't know. Uh, isn't that sad? It's kind of sad. I'm just not up to date. I don't even know who's playing. Now, if it were bowling or croquet, or, you know, that outdoor winter beach table tennis finals that's going on. You know, I, I, would, I would be more in line with what's going on. But uh, uh, I, I can tell you, even though I don't know who's playing, and I'm being candid with you, it looks like I would have heard this morning from someone. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I can tell you that I did a little research yesterday just on what people will eat and let me tell you, Americans, on average, are going to weigh a little bit more tomorrow than they did today. Um, it's estimated that over 100 million pounds of chicken wings are going to be consumed today. Amazing, huh? That's 1.25 billion wings. That's over 600,000 chickens that gave their life to the Super Bowl. Or, excuse me, over 600 million chickens. 600 million chickens. Oh, I'm in the wrong business. I need to get me a chicken farm, man. And uh, uh, according, by the way, to Mr. Google, chicken wings are up 34% in cost 
today over a year ago today. Uh, somebody's killing and making a killing. Grillable proteins. I've never seen it written that way before, but grillable proteins are also up 18% in cost. Two-liter soft drinks up 12%. Six cans, 6%. Uh, that will make the overall cost, cost of your Super Bowl experience a little bit higher this year, noticeably higher than last year. You know, one in 12 Americans will order takeout pizza today. The rest of them will eat it. And uh, 14 million hamburgers will be grilled and served today. 8 million pounds of guacamole. They'll be sticking 11 million pounds of chips in that guacamole. There's not enough guacamole to go around. 8 million pounds of guacamole, 11 million pounds of chips. Somebody's eating more chips than guacamole. And 1.2 American, uh, 1.2 million Americans will call in sick tomorrow. <laughs> They're going to stay at home because they ate too much or drank too much or because they were sad. Do you know, in fact, uh, by this time tomorrow... Antacid sales will increase by 20%. Isn't that amazing? Man, it kind of makes that mixed couples by state crochet semifinals look a little dull, doesn't it? But uh, <laughs> whoever wins, whatever happens, a lot is going on in America today around Super Bowl. And there's a lot going also on in America and around the world with Jesus. You know, we have been fortunate in our church to be a part of so many things happening around the world. Today, whether you go to Arizona and look at the emergency shelter that we have worked on there all this past summer with the Navajo and Apache reservations, whether you go to India, to our children's home there, to our schools, if you reach out into Indonesia, into Thailand, into Russia, into Mexico, you know, uh, Pakistan, Burkina Faso with our latest wells, more than 400 producing water wells. In Kenya, where we fed again, you know, so many people this past week. I, do, 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 I have, uh, do, do I have a picture, uh, Charlotte, of, uh, of the completion of our water well tank we got done yesterday? I don't know if I do or not. I kind of throw them a curve when I ask them for something in the middle of what they've already gotten out of. But uh, let, me, let me, lest I forget, we, we put a water tank in, you know, and filled it up, but it was sitting on the ground, so we went ahead. And I asked you last week if, if you had like five bucks or so you could give, and we would finish a platform. Uh, Charlotte, I don't know if you have that on, on there or not. You don't? Okay. Well, I'll get it to you and show you. The concrete platform about this high is all finished. Yeah, that, that's, that's, uh, not, that was what it looked like. Oh, that's what it looks like. Look at there. Isn't that neat? Well, the water tank, we set the water tank up there yesterday and filled it back up. Thank all of you. It cost us like $53 to fill that water tank up. Isn't that great? And then yesterday we were able to feed another five to 600 people. People got saved and, you know, uh, it, it, it's just amazing. Thank you so very much. I sure do like to uh, come back and give you a good report of the things that you are doing, not only there, but also here in our community as, as we reach out and feed and meet the needs of people here in our communities. Uh, you know, uh, I, I want to encourage you with an admonition that is attributed to King David 
We can't know for sure exactly who wrote this Psalms, but we believe it was King David. We believe uh, that, 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 he, that he wrote this, and look at this sentiment that he wrote in, in Psalms 118 as we begin our day. It says this, This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Do You know, I say that so many mornings when I wake up. The first thing I do when I open up my eyes in the morning is I reach for the Word of God. I've been doing this for I don't know how long, but it's the first thing I see every morning. I reach for the Word of God, I open the Word of God, and I begin to read the Word of God. Uh, and and uh, often I will say as I'm reading the Word of God or as I close it and begin to think on what God said to me that morning, uh, I will remember that this is the day the Lord has made. This happens to be the only chance I got. This is the day I have. Today is my chance. Today is my day. Now, you know, you may not have come from a background like I came from, but when I came from, when I got out of what I was in, a day at a time looked pretty good. You know, if I could make it one day, if I could do today a little bit better than I did yesterday or not slide back into the hole that I had been in, then it was a good day. And so that being you know, said, this is the day. This is the day. Today is the day. In fact, turn and tell someone right now, if there's someone sitting beside you at church online, there, turn and tell them, tell them here, this is the day. This is the day. <laughs> Listen. Don't let your wins or your losses mess up your life. Don't let your wins or your losses mess up your money. And don't let your wins or your losses mess up your relationships. Life is a chance. Every day is an opportunity. Last week we read a message from the Gospel of Mark which gave some details surrounding a young rich ruler. And I want to pick up kind of where we left off right there with the same general account and the same thing was happening right around that same time as Jesus was on his way to the cross. It was the last time that he would be making this journey from the Galilee down to Jerusalem. It was Passover season and he was going to be passing through Jericho in just a moment. And so we're going to be going to Luke in just a moment, uh, Luke chapter 19, and we'll pick up with this same story in a different gospel, in the gospel of Luke, and uh, we're going to discuss one of the biggest challenges that Jesus faced with his disciples. You know, Jesus chose 12 men to be with him and to send them out to preach. And then he also had an entourage of uh, others that followed. They were family members of the 12, or they were closer friends. We understand that there were somewhere between 50 and 70 disciples that followed Jesus around, getting a privy to, to, to a greater teachings that he was giving. And this was a time, a season in the life of Jesus when he was giving a lot of last-minute information as he is on his way to the cross. In fact, in only about a week, he will be crucified, dead, and buried. And so he's sharing some really critical things, maybe about 10 days or so from here. And we're going to pick up and discuss, as I said, one of the biggest challenges that Jesus faced in sharing his life and sharing truth with this group that followed him around. Uh, it, 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 it wasn't that, that they didn't love Jesus. It was not that they did not respect Jesus, but yet they presented Jesus some challenges. It was not that they did not believe that he was Messiah. They did believe that he was Messiah, but yet they presented Jesus some very formidable challenges. It, uh, it, it, it was that really what happened in their life is, 
is these people that followed Jesus around close and they saw him doing miracles and they saw him, you know, breaking fish and loaves and feeding people. They saw him walk on the water. They, they saw him raise the dead. They saw him do all of these things. And because of that, they had a false expectation. The reason I say it's false is because Jesus said it was false. Okay? I'm not throwing water on what people might expect that hang out with Jesus. But I am telling you that because they hung out so close to Jesus, they expected some things to happen that weren't going to happen. In fact, they expected some things to happen and happen immediately and happen without their attention, happen without their involvement, happen without their investment. They thought that the, that the things they had been taught in the Bible... You know, Messiah, whenever he gets here, everything's going to be wonderful. Whenever Messiah comes, our enemies are going to be put down and, and, and we're going to be elevated and, and yay for all of us and boo for all of our enemies. And that's going to happen, you know, without us doing anything. It's going to happen immediately. And so their expectations was that the kingdom of God was going to appear at any time. Boom. Messiah's going to be king. He's going to be put on the throne. But you know, instead of that, they're headed to a cross. They aren't headed to the throne. Wow. And Jesus is having a difficult time trying to get them to realize that he needs them to participate in a process that's going to bring about the promise instead of just sit around and wait on the promise. Today we're going to take our main text, as I said, from the Gospel of Luke chapter 19. And it is the account surrounding a notorious sinner. The sinner was a tax collector. He was a Jewish tax collector working for the Romans, and his name was Zacchaeus. Oh, y'all may remember uh, some songs or stories as a, as a young child, but if you've not read this entire story, let me encourage you to do so sometime this week because you can find out so many more answers and so many more uh, qualities and elements and factors of life that Jesus wants us to put in our lives today. Just by reading the entire story, you can get a personal grasp on what he wants from you. But briefly, let me catch you up before we get down uh, to verse 9, okay? Jesus has just left the young rich ruler. Jesus had encouraged the young rich ruler to participate in the kingdom by helping the poor. Jesus was looking for somebody to help the poor. The young rich ruler was more in love with his checkbook than he was with his eternity, okay? He was not as concerned about his eternal reward as he was about his temporary comfort. He had mistaken that Jesus, he, he thought Jesus had said, you need to give this up if you're going to follow me. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you need to be a giver. You need to give to, not give up. You need to participate in, not abandon. And so uh, Jesus leaves the young rich ruler. Jesus loved him, but Jesus had to move on. Okay? So he leaves the young rich ruler. He walks just shortly down the road a little bit, and he crosses over the Jordan River from what is now Jordan into what is now Palestine, right there by Jericho, just maybe a mile north of the Dead Sea. And he starts to walk into the town of Jericho. Many of you have been with me there. We've even gone to you know, uh, this huge sycamore tree. 
that is so big. It's a sycamore fig tree. Figs this big around grow on it. I eat figs from it every time I go there in the season. It's just an amazing, amazing thing. Now, uh, they claim, of course, the, the people who are in the tourist industry, that's the tree. No, it's not. That tree's not that old. But it is a great symbol of what a sycamore fig tree would have looked like in that day right along the road from the river in Jericho as you're coming into the city of Jericho. Jesus is walking into the city. Well, there's a man named Zacchaeus who is a notorious sinner. He's a tax collector. He's not liked by the community, but he wants to see Jesus. But the Bible says he was of such short stature that he couldn't really see over the crowd. Now, Zacchaeus, perhaps he had heard about Jesus many different years. Jesus had been making this journey now for 33 years with his family, and for the last three and a half years, he had been making this journey as the presumed Messiah who could do miracles. And so Zacchaeus was very interested. Everybody was interested in seeing Jesus, you know? And so Zacchaeus leaves his business, leaves it, you know, and he goes into the city streets. He could have said, I'll wait and see him next year, but, you know, there wouldn't be a next time. Sometimes people imagine they can put off meeting Jesus to a later date. It would have been horrible for Zacchaeus. He would never have met him. This was the last time Jesus was coming through his city. And so Zacchaeus, looking around for a way to see Jesus, sees a sycamore fig tree and he climbs up in this tree. And he's watching Jesus. Jesus walks under the tree and looks up in the tree and says, Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree. Y'all know the song, right? For I'm going to your house today. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to go to your house today. People got a little upset. Jesus is going to eat with a sinner? Yeah, Jesus loves sinners. If he didn't, you wouldn't be in the, you know, even in the ballpark, okay? Especially some of you, but I won't point fingers. So, he goes with Zacchaeus to his house. The entourage goes with him. You know, they eat, they fellowship, they talk. We're not privy to everything that is said there, but it's most likely about the same conversation Jesus just had on the road with the young rich ruler because the very thing that Jesus asked the young rich ruler to do, Zacchaeus comes out of his house and does the very same thing. Man, I'm selling this and I'm, I'm going to give, you know, if I've wronged anybody and cheated anybody, I'm going to give them back with interest and I'm going to give also money to the poor. Now, many people imagine that this story is about Zacchaeus. It's not. We don't know who the story's about. It has to be somewhere connected to some person that was in need, that Jesus all along that road, that last four or five miles, was trying to find somebody to meet that need. Jesus was looking for somebody with money. He was looking for somebody wealthy. He was looking for somebody that had some means. Why? Most likely, I would imagine, it was, uh, you know, thank God that Zacchaeus got saved, but most likely... It was about some poor widow that was in great need that had been bombarding the throne of heaven. And God said, okay, we got to find somebody to, to, to do this. And so just the poor were blanketed with some needs being met. That was the big goal there. Well, uh, Jesus, in talking to his disciples about what had just happened when Zacchaeus said, I'm going to give, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to bless the poor and I'm going to, you know, give money back to everybody. I cheated them. And, you know, oh, you know, Zacchaeus said that. Look what Jesus said in verse 9. And Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. 
a true giver, a true participator, somebody who's going to do something about what they are feeling convicted in, of, of what's, what's going on. You know, uh, God, it's not hard for God to put something on our heart. It's not hard for God to put something on our mind. It's not hard for God to convict us about something we need to do or something we need to quit doing or something that needs to change. The hard part is getting us to do it. That's salvation, Jesus said. This guy's going to do something. He's doing something. He's a true son of Abraham. He's a doer of the word and not just a hearer. He's going to do something with what he has just received, this inspiration he has just received, this instruction from heaven he's just received. He's actually going to act on it. What a deal. And Jesus, in verse 10, explains his calling, Jesus' calling. Jesus said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. He said, This is the reason I'm here. This is the very... You want to know why I'm here? I'm here to find people that need and then to meet that need, to save their lost, save the lost. Wow. Jesus came to look for and save those who need help. I love it, don't you? You see, salvation is a process and Zacchaeus is participating in the process and Jesus is just so happy he's so happy he's finally seeing somebody do something he just got turned down right up the road and now Zacchaeus says I'll do it verse 11 the crowd was listening to everything Jesus said and because Jesus was getting near to Jerusalem he told them a story to correct the impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. Wow. Now hold on a second. He is just about to be crucified. The kingdom of God, we know in many respects, was already there. And the kingdom of God was just about to be birthed by the church. And the kingdom of God was just about to come. But he's not talking about that. He's not talking about the invisible kingdom of God that we all are born into. He was talking about these people expecting him to become a natural, physical king and to put down all the enemies naturally and physically and for him to establish his kingdom. He's wanting to correct their impression. He's wanting to correct them because they have a false impression that just because Jesus is the Son of God, Messiah of the Jews, and Savior of the world, that just because salvation has come to this house, that all of a sudden it won't require anything else of me. It's all been done, all been settled. I don't have to participate, and everything is going to be okay right away, and I don't have to do anything about it. That's the false impression. The King James says to appear immediately. That's what it means, that all of a sudden it happens without my participation. Boom. If you notice in the Great Commission, the Bible says Jesus sat down. They went forth. It doesn't say they sat down and he went forth. And that's what many times people can imagine. I get saved, but I get saved to sit. I'm, I've been saved, praise to God, I'm going to sit here, you know, till, till everything works out. Well, that's, you know, that's a false impression. 
You know, Jesus is going to take care of it. Well, uh, yes, he will, but that's a false impression. He may need a little help. You know, uh, uh, you know, well, you know, if he really needs something, you know, he can find it somewhere. Well, that's what the young rich ruler thought, and Jesus did find it somewhere. But the young rich ruler was left out because he didn't participate. Zacchaeus participated, and salvation came to his house. But it would have been a false impression that that was the last thing that Jesus needed from Zacchaeus. Jesus begins to tell them a story, the Scripture says, to correct their false impression. What is the story? Well, the story is about ten men. It's a parable. Jesus said there were ten men, and there was a man that owned you know, this, 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 this empire and, uh, and uh, a nobleman, and he was going to go into a far country. Of course, he's talking about himself going to heaven. And before he left, he called ten men together, and he gave each one of them a pound of gold or silver, okay? And then he said to them in verse 13, invest this for me while I am gone. Now here's the picture Jesus is telling them to correct a false impression. If I can put it in his terms, he would be saying, now listen, I'm about to go away, okay? And I am going to give each one of you some gifts, some resources, some opportunities, and I want you to invest what I give you. We're not talking about money here, okay? You can throw money in here, and money is fine, and money works, but we're talking about your life. We're talking about Zacchaeus' life. Yes, it was his money, but it was his life that Jesus got in the trade. And Jesus continues the story, telling that the people who received the gifts some of them even got mad at the nobleman because they really felt as though that, that they were really my gifts. You know, yeah, forget the fact that he gave me these gifts. These are my gifts, and I should do with them what I want. And, and he really doesn't. I mean, if I work with what he's given me, if I, if I really you know, work and do well, why does he deserve anything? I'm the one that worked. And that's how they felt. Jesus is telling them this story. And so it ends up that... This nobleman was crowned king, and he came back to the servants. You can read the story. And, 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 and he said, okay, give me account of what you've done. You can read in verse 16 that the first one said, Master, I invested what you gave me, and I have made ten times the original amount. Man, Jesus says, great, great. Man, I'm going to give you more. The second one came to him and said, Master, I have invested what you've given me, and I have done five times as much. Here's five times as much back as what you gave me. And Jesus goes, great, good job. You did a great job. All right. The third person comes and says, Master, listen now. I know that you're an unfair, hard person. I know that you like to reap where you did not sow, and you like to you know, get a percentage of other people's wages. They go out and work all day, and, and you want 10% of it. And I don't think that's fair. I think that's cruel of you. And so here, I didn't do anything with the money you gave me. I've got my own money, thank you. And here's what you gave me. Here's it back. I just put it in a hole and give it back to you. There. Jesus said, you wicked and unprofitable servant, how dare you? If you thought that I was that kind of man, what in the world are you doing making me mad? You could at least put this money in the bank and gotten some interest out of it. Not much, about, you know, 
1.82 right now or so, but, you know, <laughs> uh, but anyway, <laughs> if it's in the stock market, about negative 26. Uh, but <laughs> I hid your money and I kept it safe. I was afraid. Jesus said, take that money from that servant and give it to the one who has the most. Everybody said, hold on a second, master. That guy you want to give it to has got a bunch. And Jesus said, yeah. He got a bunch because he did a lot with what I gave him. I'm going to give him some more. Verse 26, Jesus sums it up. Yes, the king replied. And to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. But from those who do nothing, even what, even what little they have will be taken away. Well, that sounds just a little bit cruel, doesn't it? I mean, to our way of thinking? Sure it does. But it's not. And it's not even something that Jesus is prescribing. It's something he's describing. It's something that he is observing. And it is a truth wherever you are. That to those who have, more is given. And to those who don't have, even the little bit they have is taken away. Those who do something with what they have make more, and those who don't do anything with what they have end up with less than they started with. That's the law of life. It is the law of life. Jesus is talking about the process of life. You see, life is a process. The disciples were wrongly imagining that since Jesus was the Son of God and, and since they were connected to Him, that they wouldn't really have to do anything, that what they needed would just appear immediately without them being responsible for doing anything about it. But Jesus had a different perspective. And uh, Jesus was doing His best to help them see that you have to participate in life to make things work. I love the way Jesus teaches in the Gospels. Jesus tells a story. I, loved, I, I love parables. You know, um, let me tell you who does not like parables. People who are wrong. People who are wrong don't like being compared with somebody else that is wrong because you can see that other person is wrong and you don't like being compared with the wrong person. But truth is truth. You know, this is what... Nathan the prophet did whenever he went to David and David had committed adultery with Bathsheba and killed her husband. Nathan the prophet came and said, Hey, listen, David, there is a man in your kingdom that has a hundred sheep and there's a man that just has one sheep. The man with the hundred sheep killed the man with one sheep so that he could have that one sheep. David said, Where is this man? I am going to take him out. He said, You are that man. David went, Whoops. I love the way Jesus teaches. Jesus compares us to farmers, to fishermen. He compares truth with truth. If you don't like where you line up with the truth of a parable, then you need to change because the truth won't. Jesus, Almighty God, has given us resources, abilities, opportunities and he expects us to use these to increase not only to bless us but to be a blessing to his kingdom because his kingdom won't come immediately with 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 you know without effort these disciples that Jesus is trying to teach 
the weight of the world, the weight of heaven is about to be dropped on their shoulders. And they're going to have to work hard. They're going to be blessed and blessed throughout eternity. But it's not happening for free. It takes effort. I, I, I like the way that Jesus teaches. You know, he will be blatantly direct if he has to. He, he can say, get behind me, Satan, to his closest followers. But that's not normally his go-to. His normal go-to is to show you something in life that equates to a truth that you're willing to embrace and then ask you to put yourself in that story. And you become the person you want to be in that story. You can become the person you want to be in any story. You can choose whether to be the hero or the zero. Whether it's in your marriage or in your job, at school, or in your family, you get to choose whether you are the one who is the problem or one trying to fix a problem. You get to choose whether you're patient or not. You get to choose whether you're loving or whether you're kind. You get to choose whether you are forgiving, whether you are the one in the story that is forgiving and caring and helpful or whether you are the one that is resentful and bitter and angry and sour and and fussy and complaining you get to choose in every situation every day with each opportunity who you are going to be God has given you this ability to choose and that's what he was saying I I I, I had rather you know um, be taught the simple truth through seeing myself in a story than have to endure some blatant direct rebuke from heaven you see life is a chance life is your chance every day is an opportunity and today is the opportunity for each one of us to make a simple decision to adjust our lives we can adjust our lives. Life is a chance. Every day an opportunity. And you can adjust your lives by simply making a decision. Nobody else can make that decision for you. Nobody else can adjust your life. You might need to adjust it a little bit or you might need to adjust it a lot. But I can guarantee you no matter how bad things are, you can make them worse. And no matter how good things are, you can make it better. We cannot expect things to get better, however, all on their own. We can't expect to ignore, ignore a situation or, 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 or you know, just, just withdraw from participation and expect things to get better. You cannot even change a flat or a hairdo without getting close to it. It's important. How do we imagine we can change our lives if we're unwilling or change our families or change our situation or change our finances or change our future if we're unwilling to handle it and get close to it and take a look at it, examine it, and do something about it? And you don't have to take the big giant step and get there all at once. The disciples didn't. Life is filled with a lot of small steps. You know, uh, just, you know, maybe you could begin by making one small step a week. Maybe you could begin by, by, by just planning on doing better next time. 
and just choose one small step because life is made up of a lot of days, a lot of steps, a lot of opportunities. You can do a little. There is a little. There's something you can do to please Jesus today. You can do just a little. And that little will be a lot over the long haul. The parable Jesus told the disciples concludes with a realization. If we don't do something with what we have been given, we might end up with nothing. Sitting around angry about the way things are, frustrated whether other people won't change it. If the least thing you can do is pray, then pray. Find yourself on your knees. Come on now. Can't you just fall on your knees and say, Jesus, I need your help? Can't you just make that one step? I dare say I'm talking to a lot of people that haven't made that step in years. Just a simple step to say, here I am, Lord, help me. Lord, what can I do about this, Lord? I mean, certainly you can at least pray. You know, many people need help. Take, take relationships, for example. Relationships are a long game. Realize it right now. Relationships were originally designed by God to last forever. The original design of a relationship, when God originally designed relationships, were, was intended to last forever. We need to pay attention to these relationships. But just because you were born into a family, or just because you were raised making relationships in a community, or just because you married into a family, or just because you have some contractual obligation to a group of individuals, or even because you are in covenant. None of these things, being born into a family, marrying into a family, uh, being raised in a community, having a contractual uh, agreement or a covenant, none of these things guarantee success without your participation. Just because you're born into a family does not mean that you end up with a successful family relationship. There are some things you need to do and some things you don't need to do in order to make family work like God intends it to work. You see, the relationships God gives us are meant to be successful, fruitful, and fulfilling relationships. Relationships take investment. That's what he said, invest in this while I'm gone. What did God give you? God gave you relationships. He gave you a family. He gave you a community. He gave you a business. He gave you a, a, a job. He gave you, you know, a, an opportunity. He gave you a friend. Take care of this while I'm gone. Take care of this, and He will supply everything you need to make it better. He's just that way. But if we are unwilling, if we are unwilling to cultivate, nurture, and repair relationships that God gives us, then they will never be the relationships that God intends. We must cultivate. We must always be ready to embrace a new relationship that God wants to give us. Whether it's a child being born into the family or if it's someone marrying into the family, wherever we are, we must be responsible. It won't happen automatically. The things that Jesus wants, the kingdom of God, won't even happen automatically. Relationships don't. We must cultivate them. We must nurture them. We have to spend time nurturing them. And we must repair them. Because relationships get damaged walking through life. 
They get strained. They get stressed. You might be responsible for fixing something you didn't break. That's what a disciple of Christ will do. When God gives a talent, a gift, or an opportunity, He expects us to take care of it. He expects us to make something more out of it than what it was when we got it. You see, life is a process, but success is more than a one-step process. Success in life will take many, many, many steps. Success is more than a one-step process, and success most often belongs to those who are willing and able to endure the process. Willing and able to endure that process. You may be willing, but you may say, Pastor, I'm not able. You might say, I'm, I'm, I'm spent. I've done this so many times. What can I do? Number one, start with prayer. Number two, get a little help. Get some counsel. You know, go to the Word of God. You know, uh, get, get, get a friend to walk with you so that they can pick you up when you fall down. Find somebody that will agree with Jesus in your life instead of agreeing with you in your life. Find someone that will point to the loving, caring way of Christ and pray with you for reconciliation and restoration and repair instead of standing on the other side of that line and agreeing with you that those people aren't worth it, that they hurt you and they're wrong and they're the problem and they're the fault. Stop that. You need to get away from those folks. You know, that, 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 that's not a song you need to rehearse. When we don't value what we have, it won't grow. And those who do nothing with the little they have, it will dwindle away. This works in relationships. And, and, and as, as I'm closing this morning, I want to tell you as well, it works in the opportunity God gives us in our resources as well. It works even in money. There are three things that are very important in people's lives. One of the top three things is how can I have a successful marriage? That is one of the top questions, uh, seeing that in America and indeed in many places around the world, the divorce rate is soaring. Divisions are occurring. How can I have a successful marriage? A second question that people have, how can I raise a happy family? How can I raise a family that's happy and content and wholesome and that, 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 that want to get together and that enjoy and respect one another? How can I have a happy family? And a third thing involves money. How can I get everything that I need so that I can be blessed and be a blessing? How can I have what I need and enough to meet the needs of those I care about around me? Those are the top three questions that people have. And these things can be answered in the process of life. That we include Jesus and we begin to have to tweak ourselves. Every day take a new step. Every day make a better decision. Every day, each day is our opportunity. This is the day the Lord has made. I am going to rejoice and be glad in it. It's my opportunity to take another step in a relationship, to take another step to do something right, to become the person I want to be, to, to, to distance myself from my last worst mistake, to just, just outlive, outlast, outdistance my last bad decision. You can do it. It can begin today. You know, uh, the day that Jesus met Zacchaeus, Jesus was looking for somebody with money. He didn't need a little bit of money. In fact, evidently, Jesus needed a lot of money that day. Isn't it interesting that he was looking for people with money? He was looking for somebody that could meet some big needs. 
You know, uh, many people, as I said, read that account of Zacchaeus and imagine it's about Zacchaeus, but it's not. It's about all those needy people. Zacchaeus got saved in the midst of it. He got called and saved. The young rich ruler got called and didn't get saved. Zacchaeus got called and saved is the over in, uh, oh, overriding view of a New Testament the, uh, doctrine concerning this, the, this event is that he said yes to Jesus. And saying yes meant that Jesus wanted him to participate and to be a blessing. You know, uh, uh, I, I firmly believe there's no way. Zacchaeus did not outgive God that day. No way. In fact, Zacchaeus lives on in the memory of so many. I'm even preaching about him today, here 2,000 years later, over one thing that we know about him, one thing that he did, because there fell on his heart a conviction that God needed the poor to be helped, and he simply said yes with what he had. He, you know, he, he wasn't challenged to give what he did not have. He was challenged to give God what he did have, and he did. Jesus promised him true riches, no doubt, just like he did that young rich ruler. Zacchaeus just needed to make an investment first. If Zacchaeus had not made the first investment, we would not be reading about him today, most likely, or he would be the second no, and here Jesus would go finding a third one because Jesus was on a journey that day. He's on a journey today. He's on a journey today to get the hungry fed. In fact, have you read it? That whenever we get to heaven, this is what I'm hoping I will hear. And I'm hoping, I've asked God for a lot of years to let me stand very close to the gate. So that when those that I have pastored come through the gate, I am hoping to hear him say to you, well done. He knows this is my earnest prayer. I have asked him, God, let me stand there, Lord. Let me know if I have taught the truth and done a good job, Lord. Because when people come through the gate that I have been responsible for their souls, the Bible says in Hebrews 13, I have to give an account for your soul. If I'm going to be responsible for their souls, Lord, I'd like to be standing there. And when they come through, I'd like to look up and see them walk through, and I'd like to hear you say, well done. Whew, if I can get there. If I can just get there. You know, it's a... Uh, it's an unseen weight to be responsible for the souls of men and women when I step into glory. But if I can just get there and hear him say, well done, I'll know that I've taught you the truth. And I'll know that whenever he says, you know, why? Because I was hungry and you fed me. Because I was thirsty and you gave me a drink of water. Because I was sick and you visited me, I was naked you clothed me i was in prison and you visited you came to minister to me you that's the reason why we're so eaten up around here with doing things like we do it's my perhaps my single goal in life is just to make sure when you get there you hear well done because i'm hoping i can hear it because if you did well i did well and it's all about me I'm that scared of God. Okay? Not afraid that he's going to hurt me or anything. I know he loves me, but I just don't want to hear. You know, you could have done better. So in the morning, I'm leaving for Kenya. You know, and I'm going to be crawling out on the trash pile this next week. Be praying for me. I'm going to go inspect what we expect. <laughs> Joey, that's why you got to do it. Why? Because I sent your money there. 
And I want to stand up here next year and ask you for some more. But I want you to know that it's doing, it's, it's reaching its mark. This is what we do. Thanks again for joining us for another dynamic message from Pastor Ron Hammonds. Visit cotr.com and subscribe to all of our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well, receive more encouraging messages from our pastor and details of the work we're doing both in our community and communities like ours around the world. Today and every day, God bless.